sometimes uh, our faith is confusing, isn't it? I mean, some of these songs we sing, you're a good father. Uh, after the service, after the, the message, we're going to sing a song, uh, all your promises are yes and amen. And, and, and that's true. And we read that in Scripture, that God is love. He doesn't just do loving things. He is love. And yet, sometimes in our life, we don't feel that way, do we? Sometimes we feel like God is distant, even though he promises that he is not only with us, he is in us. At least it's true for me sometimes. Sometimes when God asks me to take a step of faith, I don't want to say every time because that might be an exaggeration, but man, it sure does feel like every time God asks me to take a step of faith, you know what's never included with that? The resources to take that step of faith. Um, that's never included. The, the assurances that this step of faith is actually going to work out, that's not included. The ego strength to take that step of faith isn't included. I, I always have fear and doubt uh, to take that step of faith. What, what is always included is that fear, is that doubt, is that insecurities, is that confusion that comes along with it. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. If so, you're not alone. Not only is it true for me and you, it's true for every major person we see in the Bible. Abraham, who is the father of the nation of Israel. Abraham, God called Abraham to go where he had never been before and gave him the promise that from him and his wife that they would give birth uh, to an entire nation. Remember, God had him looked up to the stars and say, so as many stars are in the sky will be your descendants. The problem is his wife couldn't have kids. They were too old to have kids. But yet God promised them that they would. Joseph was given this great plan for his life. Remember when we went through Genesis, God told Joseph that his entire family would bow down to him, that he would be the patriarch of his family. However, it didn't work out the way Joseph thought it would. He thought he would go tell his dad and brothers, hey, guess what? God said, I'm going to rule over you. Remember what they said? They said, God didn't tell us that. And his timetable, Joseph's timetable, was very different than God's. Joseph thought it was going to be immediate. God did decades. Joseph thought he was going to rule over his family right where they lived, God had prison in Egypt in mind for him to rule over his family. Moses. God told Moses that he was going to use Moses to set the nation of Israel free from the bondage of slavery in Egypt, which he did. What God didn't promise is that this nation would be grateful for his leadership. If you remember, the entire time that he led them, they grumbled, they complained, they, not only against Moses' leadership, but the leadership of the Lord. You know, there had to be times in Moses' life, and we know that because we see it in Scripture where, where Moses looked up to God and said, why then? David was anointed to be a king by a prophet of God. There was already another king in place, but God said David's going to be king. So this prophet came and anointed David king and then left. And left David, this teenager, standing there with this knowledge that God has said you're going to be king. But there's already another king on the throne. And that king heard what happened to David and started pursuing him to kill him. And David was on the run. You see, every 
major person in Scripture has experienced this gap between what God says he's going to do and God doing what he says he's going to do. There's this gap between what God says and what God does. And the question that I hope that we can answer today is what do we do when we are in that gap? Those little, those little dashes up there, what do, what do our dashes look like as we're waiting between what God says and what God does? Because those dotted lines and, and how we respond in that gap, I believe, determines everything about our life. It determines our levels of anxiety. It determines our depths of depression. It determines our parenting. It affects every relationship around us about how we fill in that gap between what God says and what God does. And to see how to respond in that gap, we're actually going to look at the life of Mary. We're taking a break from Hebrews as we prepare our hearts and and minds and souls and spirits for Easter and and for the resurrection. And so we're looking at the the resurrection and we're looking at the crucifixion through the the eyes of different people. We're looking at it through Mary today. We'll, We'll do Barabbas next week and then John on Easter Sunday. And in each of them and through their eyes, we're going to see something different about the crucifixion and resurrection to get us ready for Easter. And their eyes will, will see better how to appreciate what Jesus has done for us. Now, with Mary, we actually know a lot about her. She's one of those people in the New Testament that, that we get a pretty big swap of her life. Um, we're introduced to her at the age of 13. And in her life, I hope we can see how to fill in this gap. And when she was 13, um, she was just going about her business as a 13-year-old would. And then an angel shows up and says that she's going to give birth to the Messiah. Now, she was already engaged to be married, and, and in that time, an engagement of marriage was as if you were married, except there wasn't the physical relationships to go along with it. That waited until marriage, but she was already betrothed to this guy named Joseph, and his angel shows up and says she's going to give birth, and her response is, how? I've never been with a guy, and he goes, God will take care of that. But the person you're going to give birth to will be the Messiah. It'll be the Savior. It'll be the one the nation of Israel has waited for for hundreds and thousands of years. You're going to give birth to him. Now, this this Savior that she was going to give birth to, this Messiah, also had a lot of expectations around him. Right, Because people were anticipating the birth of the Savior. They were anticipating the birth of this Messiah. And here's why. The nation of Israel uh, had land, and they were living in the land of Israel. But there was another nation that ruled over them called Rome. And so they were under this Roman rule. And what they thought the Messiah was going to do was the Messiah was going to free the nation of Israel from the, Ro- from the rule of Rome. Just like Moses freed the nation of Israel from the land of Egypt. This Messiah was going to free them from the rule of Rome. And not only was he going to free them from Rome, he was also going to move Israel into this world power of peace and prosperity. That the Messiah was going to create Wakanda. See, three Black Panther fans, thank you. But that's, that's the picture of what they thought the Messiah was going to do, bring this nation of prosperity, this nation of wealth that was going to be a benefit and a blessing to the entire world. That's what they thought this Messiah was going to do. So when Mary heard she's giving birth to Messiah, her mind went there. Well, she gives birth, and then something interesting happens. As you know the story, they're in a manger. Jesus is wrapped in swaddling cloth. And some shepherds are out in the field. 
And this choir of angels shows up to these shepherds and declares to them that the Messiah was born and tells them where to go to find this Messiah, to to worship him. And so Mary's sitting in a manger with Joseph and a few other animals, and these shepherds show up. And when these shepherds show up, these stinky, smelly men, these shepherds show up, they tell Mary and Joseph what the angels have said. And they said, the angels have told us that you have given birth to the Messiah, and we are here to worship him. Now, here's what's interesting for Mary. For Mary... This event is very important because up until this point, the only people who knew that she was going to give birth to the Messiah, the only humans who knew that she was going to give birth to the Messiah were her, Joseph, and their cousin Elizabeth. Nobody else knew, but God told these shepherds that he was doing this. And they show up and they confirm that to Mary. And so in Mary's mind, this is a big deal. In Mary's mind, this this could actually be happening. It's not just her. This could actually be happening. And we're gonna look at Mary's response to this in Luke chapter two. If you're under Luke chapter two, verse 19, um, we are gonna be in five different places in scripture today. We're gonna be in Luke and then John and then back to Luke and then back to John and then Acts. So get your fingers ready um, as, we turn the, as we turn the pages or your, your swiping finger ready if you do it that way. If you use the Bible in front of you, I'm gonna have the page numbers up there so it's a nice little cheat for you. Uh, you can just turn right to that page, page 711. And look at Mary's response in Luke chapter two, verse 19. It says, so the shepherds have just come and told her all this. It says, but Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. You see, God said she was gonna give birth to the savior of the world and she did give birth miraculously. But was he really the savior of the world? You know, that question had to be in her heart. And then these shepherds show up and and her response to them made her ponder. It made her treasure up these things these words that they said, God really is in this. And, and, and what we see in this is we see what that first dash might look like between what God says and what God does and this gap in between what he says and what he does. That first step is often admiration. We admire in the gap. We, we take that step of faith and, and, our, and our first thought is this is incredible. Our prayers are optimistic. We, we trust And we admire what God is doing. But then, here's what happens after day one is you have day two, right? And then day 32, and then day 222. And you're waiting. Well, see, Jesus grew up, right? These expectations of him being the savior, the one who's gonna conquer Rome. Jesus grew up and he became a teenager. And they go to the temple and, And he decides he's going to teach in the temple as a 13-year-old. And what happens is the teachers hear him teach, and they're amazed by this boy. They're so amazed by him, he he doesn't go with his parents back home. And they're on their way back home and realize he's not there. And they go back, and they find him. And and there's this this question, because he says, I'm in my father's house. Didn't you know that? And Mary's head and the people around him, yeah, but that's great and all but you're supposed to conquer Rome. Well, then Jesus grows up some more and he's in kind of this this phase between being under his his mother's authority. At some point, Joseph dies. We don't know when. 
He's under Mary's authority, but yet he's also started his own ministry. He's got disciples, and, and, and there's this wedding down the street. And Mary gets invited to this wedding, and Joseph and, I mean, Jesus and his disciples get invited to this wedding. And so they go, and, and what happens when they get to this wedding is that all the wine dries up. Now, in the scriptures, wine oftentimes is a symbol of joy and celebration. And the way wine worked at a wedding, especially if you were a, a, a cheap host, like we get the impression this guy was, is that you would start off with the strong wine at the beginning of the celebration. So people would start feeling a little tipsy, and then you'd start watering down the wine, right? So it kind of stretched it out, got a little more bang for your buck, and it kind of helped everybody stay sober. Well, this guy, though, they did that, and he still didn't have enough, and the wine dries completely up at this celebration, this wedding, uh, which is supposed to be this joyous occasion. Now, turn to John chapter 2 and look at what happens. This is hilarious. John chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. So John chapter 2, if you're looking in the Bible, it's on page 736 in the one in the aisles, in the pews. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples, and when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to them, they have no more wine. So enter Mary. You know, the, the wine dries up. Her son is supposed to be the Savior. Surely he can do something about them. And so she tells them that there is no wine. Look at, look at how Jesus responds. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And so she says, Jesus, honey, this fine wedding has no wine. How can they have joy with no wine? You need to fix this. And her, her thought was, do something savior-like, right? And his response is, it's not time. This doesn't have anything to do with me. Just chill, mom. Right? Well, look at what she does next in verse 5. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. In other words, she ignores the savior of the world tells the servants, listen, he'll take care of this. Just do whatever he tells you to do. It doesn't have to make sense. Whatever he tells you to do, just do it. Because something good's gonna happen here. And you know what Jesus does? The savior of the world obeys his mama. And he turns the water to wine. See, what Mary does is she looks at her son, she looks at the Savior of the world, and she says, you better do something, and it better be Savior-like. Because I've had this promise from God. I've had this promise from angels. I've been told that you are going to be the Savior of the world, and it's time for you to start acting like it. She takes charge of the situation. And he turns the water into wine, not just any wine, by the way, but the good stuff, the stuff they had at the beginning. And here we see how Mary responds in this time of gap between what God said and what God does. And it's a way that we all respond, and that is we try and control the gap, don't we? We try and, and, and control inside the gap. We, 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 in this space between what God said and what God does, we try and control life so it looks like God is doing what he said he was going to do. Right, and if you don't believe me, look at the national, uh, the 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 national amount of Christians who are in credit card debt. 
right? I know in my life, Visa has been a provider sometimes when I didn't want to wait for God to provide. Right? We try and control in that gap. We pretend that life is all good when it's not. And this is a subtle form of control. But look at what Mary does next. You see, Jesus does finally step out from under her authority and begins his ministry. And when he does, his following begins to grow. Not only does he have disciples, but he's got this crowd that follows him everywhere he goes. And he's doing these these miracles and signs and wonders to confirm that he is the Messiah. He is the Savior. And as he's doing this ministry, he actually begins to look like the Savior that was promised because God is miraculously working through him until she notices something, though, about her son. He's not recruiting generals, right? His disciples are dropouts, literally. In the Hebrew's education, you got to a certain amount, and then if you had the skills required to continue in education, you became a disciple of a rabbi. These guys weren't disciples of anybody. They were fishermen and tax collectors. They were dropouts. He wasn't recruiting generals. He wasn't making strategic plans on conquering the nation of Rome. He was talking about love and forgiveness and confession and repentance in a relationship with God. And Mary was, I think, a little bit confused by this, right? Well, he comes by close to home as he's traveling around preaching. And Mary and some of Jesus' siblings, some of his half-brothers and probably sisters too, want to go have a little chat with him and see if they can straighten him out and get him back on the right track. So turn back to Luke chapter 8 and see what happens. This, where the last one was amazing, this one sends chills down my spine. Luke 8, verse 19 through 21, page 717. So Jesus has got this crowd around him. It says, then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. So he's probably in a house or he's in an area and, and, and the crowd is around him and, and Jesus And his siblings, his half-siblings, are are out on the outskirts of the crowd trying to get in. But the crowd's so tightly packed that they can't get through the crowd. Now, if I was Mary, I was thinking, listen, God could part the Red Sea. Surely my son can do something about this crowd, right? And make a way for me to get in. So she sends somebody inside to work their way through to tell Jesus, hey, your mom's out here and she wants to talk to you. Look at what Jesus does. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Oh, snap. He just left his mama outside. You see, now Mary is standing in this gap between what God says and what God does. And now I think she's feeling something she's never felt before. She's feeling all alone. Her son, her son that she gave birth to, you know how mamas always like to say that? Because it's true. Her son, that son, and also too, for millennials and stuff, no matter how old you get, your parents still see you as a little kid, right? Right? 
That's what she's doing. She's saying, that little kid whose nose I wiped, whose shoes I, or sandals I strapped or whatever they had, that guy's not letting me in. And now in this gap, she feels distant from her son, from the son. And you see, in this journey of faith between living between what God has said and what God does, we can feel distant from God. Now, the truth, and we know the truth, is that we're not, that God has said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, that God is not only with us, he's in us, but we feel distant from God. And what that causes is it causes confusion, and so we're confused in this gap. Now, this picture of Mary is so appropriate. I love it because she's got her hand on her head in confusion and you can almost see her saying, this doesn't make any sense. You can hear the good Jewish mom in her saying, oy vey, what's going on? Oy vey is this Yiddish expression that, that shows exasperation, it shows disapproval, it shows, it shows disgust in some ways. And, and in our faith journey, we can experience this many, many times. Things just don't make sense, do they? See, when God isn't doing what he said he would do, we often don't know what to do as we're in this gap. And maybe you're there too. Be encouraged because Mary's story isn't over yet. Her son Jesus goes on to do another three years of ministry leading to his arrest and ultimately his crucifixion. And, And at this moment, this confusion and this crucifixion comes to a climax because on that cross, I don't know where to flick it. We seriously have to get that fixed. I don't know where they come from. There's about 15 theories floating around. Don't give me another one. But we have to find out where they're coming from and get that fixed. All right, for those of you listening online, I just had a wasp land on my podium. All right, where was I? Um, The crucifixion, right? Yes, yes. Um, so, so, so here's Mary. You know, she's got all these ideas, all these thoughts of, of who Jesus is, what the Savior is, what the Messiah is supposed to do. And, and yet, he's hanging on this cross. Right? How can he save us from Rome if he's dead? How can he be the Messiah if he dies? All that hung on the cross, her expectations of what the Messiah would be, what the Savior would do. On this cross hung all of her confusion, all of her control, even all of her admiration of what God was doing in this gap. And look at what happens while Jesus is on the cross. This is where things start to turn and we start to see a different way to live in this gap. Look at, look at John chapter 19. So go back to John. John 19. Starting in verse 26, it's on page 750. It says, when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her uh, to his own home. And so Jesus is on the cross and all these expectations of him and and the fact that it's her son and she's her mother and she's his mother and, and there's sadness and there's confusion. And in the middle of that, Jesus looks down at her from the cross and looks at his disciple, John, and says, Mom, I want you to go live with John now. John, I want you to take care of my mom. And in that moment, something wonderful happens. 
Because she received this gift during this period, during this gap. You see, as a widow, Mary had no one to care for her. Joseph had died. Jesus was her firstborn. It was his responsibility to take care of her. And his way to take care of her was to give her to someone that he trusted, to give her care to someone that she trusted, that, that she would be provided for for all of her life. And she received this gift of Jesus during this gap period. And here we see another step in this gap period of what God, between what God says and, and what God is doing, where we actually receive good gifts during that, during that period. We actually receive good gifts as we wait. And here at Fellowship, we, we started this phrase when we were studying the life of Abraham in Genesis that waiting time isn't wasted time. That as we wait between what God says and what God does, God is actually doing stuff for us during that time, that he hasn't abandoned us. He hasn't left us alone. He doesn't want us to strive and try and make it right. He wants us to rest in him, and in resting in him, he has good things for us as we wait. You see, your job during this waiting time is to receive the gifts that God has. Jesus died on this cross and was raised from the dead. That death and resurrection is the gospel that we talk about, that, that him taking on the sins of the world at the crucifixion, not only were Mary's expectations on there, but the sins of the world rested on him. And when he died and was rose from the dead, it allowed us to have this good and right and intimate personal relationship with God. Not only do we know him, not only do we believe in him, but we have this connection with God that didn't exist before Jesus, before we said yes to Jesus, that God is not only with us, but he is in us. That is the good news of the gospel. You don't work for that. It is a gift for you. And this event, this crucifixion, paid the penalty for our sins so we can have this type of relationship. And after the resurrection, Jesus spent about 40 days with his disciples. The, he had the crucifixion, the resurrection, and then he spent about 40 days with his disciples, continually to te- continuing to teach them and train them and to show them who God is. And before he he ascended into heaven, he told his disciples to stay together and pray until the Holy Spirit came. And what's crazy is he told his disciples, listen, the Holy Spirit that's gonna come on you is not only gonna be evidence and confirmation that you are this thing called the church, that you do have this relationship with God, but because of the Holy Spirit, you're gonna be able to do more than I was able to do in the three years of ministry that I have. You, because of the Holy Spirit, are going to be able to see miracles and healings and lives changed. And so he told the disciples, so go and pray and wait for me to send the Holy Spirit. And so they did. And and look who else is there. Turn to Acts chapter 1. This will be our last last place to stop. So turn over a couple of pages to Acts chapter 1. So the disciples have gathered together, and when they had entered, so this is verse 13, and when they entered, they went up to the upper room, where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew and Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot and Judas, the son of James. All these were with one accord, devoting themselves to prayer. So they were all there praying. But look who else is there. Together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So Jesus' mother was now part of this group. The group that previously she couldn't make her way through to get to her son, 
Now she's there with them praying and worshiping her son. Now she sees what the Messiah is. He wasn't here to, to, to overthrow Rome. The nation of Israel is still under Roman rule at this time. If that's what they expected of the Messiah, guess what? He wasn't the Messiah. But now she knows they didn't come to set them free from the Roman rule. They came to, he came to set them free from sin. And she's there doing what he asked them to do and to pray and to worship. Where previously she'd been on the outside trying to get in, trying to work and control and feeling distant. She's now praying with the other followers. And in her, we see what we do in this step, in this place between what God says and what God does. And it's this last aspect of it. We see her follow. And that's the greatest place for us to be when we're in that gap in between what God says and what God does, is we follow God in the gap. We trust. Y'all, I feel like a broken record up here, all right? How many times have I encouraged us, I'm not saying you, this is me, my sermons come back in my head, that God is faithful. And our job is to respond to a faithful God and to trust him. And that's what we do in this place between what God says and what God does. And so where are you today? Is there a place in your life where you're stuck in this gap between what God says and what God does? No matter how big of an issue or how small of an issue, are you there? You know, I am. Uh, you know, we, we talk about planting a campus, Fellowship Weaverville. The moment we made that public, you know, the elders, we've been praying for a year to hear if God said yes or no or wait or whatever, and we feel like God has said yes. We feel like he has said where, and so we told y'all, and it's been, it's, I've gone through all of these, right? I, I even, here's what's crazy. My, my mind is kind of ADD. Not kind of, it is ADD. Um, and so what that means is I can be talking and thinking about something different. So... Last night, I was uh, on our back deck. It was beautiful weather yesterday, so I was practicing my message on the back deck, and I'm sitting there, and I hadn't gotten to this part yet. I was in another part, and I'm, I'm practicing it, and I'm kind of saying it out loud, but in my head, I'm thinking, why are we planting a church? We don't have enough money to plant a church. We don't have the guy to plant the church. We don't have the place to plant the church. Why are we planting the church? I mean, look around. There's empty seats. We're not blowing out the doors. Why are we planting a church? As I'm preaching on being in that place between what God says and what God does, right? I've gone through that. When, when the elder said yes and said Fellowship Weaverville, my first response was, yes, God is in this, right? There was this great admiration, this great trust. I mean, planting a church is pretty noble. All the pastors are doing it nowadays, <laughs> Right? Then opposition set in, fear and doubt, insecurities. I've struggled with control. I've been confused. I'm hoping to, to see more good gifts that God is doing. I've, I've already been encouraged by those of you who have said, yes, we want to be a part of this. I hope to follow where God leads. Actually, what I'm praying, I, I said this during the first service, my, my prayer uh, you know, we've sent the job posting out to, to people we trust so they can get it out. And so we've gotten these resumes back that are incredible. 
and they're interested in it until I talk to them, and then they're not interested anymore. That's always fun. And then, uh, uh, but, but God is doing something. My prayer has been for God just to bring this person to us. Whether a random email, I don't know. But my prayer is that God will bring us the person, God will provide the place, because I really want this to be a God thing. And I really want to follow him where he's leading. But what about you? Where, are you in a gap of your own? If so, I want you to do something for me. And this is weird, and I'm gonna apologize in advance to the introverts. I know you've been at the women's retreat uh, if you're a woman, and so all your introvert and all your people energy is done, and I'm sorry. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna apologize to visitors if this is your first time. I'm sorry too, but here's what I want us to do. Because I really believe that all of us have this place in our life where we're stuck between what God has said and what God is doing, whether big or small. And the, the, the lie from Satan is that we feel like we're the only ones there. And so what I want you to do is if you are in this place between what God says and what God does, I want you just to raise your hand. I'm not gonna ask you to stand up, just raise your hand. Now what I want you to do, keep your hands up, keep your hands up, is I want you to look around. You're not alone. You see, church, this, you can put your hands down now. This gospel is what binds us together. And this gospel that Jesus died for our sins and was raised from the dead to prove that he is the Messiah, that he is the Savior, that gospel is embedded with waiting because he hasn't come back yet. He will one day but he hasn't come back yet, and so we wait. We wait for him to provide. We wait for him to heal. We wait for him to do the things that he says he's going to do, and we trust that one day he will. One day, all the promises of God are gonna be yes and amen, and until then, we wait. And this gospel is the glue that binds us together. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, then let today be the day that you say yes to him and become a follower of Jesus. And for those of us who are, let's remember that this gospel is the glue that binds us together. And so what I want us to do to help maybe even mark this day in our, in our lives and, and to remember that you are not alone, here's what I want us to do. I want us to take just a couple of minutes and I want you to, this is the part where I'm apologizing to the introverts. I want you to get with somebody that's right around you. And if you're in a gap, I want you to just to say a quick word about what that gap is. Maybe it's relationships, maybe it's healing, maybe it's work, um, uh, whatever it is, maybe it's provision. You just say the word, this is what the gap is. And then I want y'all to pray for each other. Introduce yourselves if you don't know each other and then just pray a quick, quick prayer for each other because y'all, we're not alone as we wait. We are the body of Christ. And one of the privileges of that is praying with and for one another. So let's take a few minutes and pray and then I'll close this down.